Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by a wonderful company, Creation to Revelation. This group of Christians believe it is extremely important that we teach the Word of God to our kids. They have original graphic illustrations from the beginning of the Bible to the end, featuring the beautiful and consistent presence of Jesus throughout. You can explore all of that at creationtorevelation.com. I'm so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back. I'm glad you've joined today. For anyone listening over the age of 40, probably, I should begin by acknowledging that today's title is a throwback to a 1984 commercial for Wendy's. There are three old ladies gathered around a burger on a plate. It has this massive bun, and they pull it off to reveal this tiny little patty in the middle. And one of the old ladies looks across the counter and asks, Where's the beef? Like three times. That really took off for them, and they did a whole bunch of commercials. And they were making the point that when you buy a Wendy's burger, there's a massive beef patty inside. But if you go pick up a Big Mac or something else, you'll be asking... Where's the beef? It kind of found its way into pop culture, and people still say it today, and it's usually this all-purpose phrase questioning the substance of something, something that's supposed to be there, that's advertised to be there, but it's not, at least not in the way it should be. It is in that vein that I have titled today's episode, Where's the Grace? It represents this familiar refrain that people make about preaching and teaching at the church where they worship or particularly in the past, sermons preached or lessons taught or conversations had. There is this great and ambitious proclamation of grace, and in fact a great many hymns that champion it. But when you really look into the development of your faith, where's the grace? Now, the direction of today's episode may surprise you, because I'm not hopping on board with that complaint. In fact, I would like to offer a defense on preachers of old, including myself, who has been doing this for 20 years, and much of the preaching that I grew up with, that there was actually a lot of grace in those lessons and sermons. Though maybe the word grace wasn't used as much, it doesn't mean that it wasn't there. Now look, my intention is not to go back and measure and evaluate all of that. Truthfully, there probably was teaching that needed more grace. There very well could have been guys who did not focus enough on the mercies of God, maybe in countermeasure to some movement that they opposed, or in ways that introduced mercy but very quickly ran to passages like Titus 2 and the instructional nature of grace and ultimately made it feel like a brief prelude to the real focus of the teaching, which was doing good works. We dug in on some of this back at the end of September in an episode called Salvation by Grace, which I hope added some clarity to the fact that only due to the extension of God's grace can we even be drawn to better behavior. Gratitude for the mercies of the Lord in our lives spurs us to doing our best, and it is His ability living in us and His kindness wrapped around us that allows us to live with tremendous hope even though we be irreparably flawed here in the flesh. 
And as we mentioned early in that episode, there are certainly people who grew up in the church who feel like they were never taught about the true grace of God or the power of the Holy Spirit. But that is not necessarily so. Some, in fact, did feature grace often in their work, but many others talked about the nature of God's grace, though they may not have used that exact word. Now, you might hear that and say, Chris, look, that's kind of a cheap defense. If they weren't talking about grace by name, were they really telling us about the unmerited mercies of God? The answer may be, absolutely. And I'm going to prove it to you today in a way that I hope leads to better understanding and has some nice action items at the end. Just to give you a little illustration of what I'm talking about, there have been several people over the last few years who said, Chris, you need to be preaching more on authority. But what they really meant was they wanted to see the word on the slide or read the word in the sermon title or hear it in very common brotherhood language. But the truth is, every time I opened the New Testament and taught the principles of the Lord, the power of God, the commandments of Jesus, and the need to grow in love and truth, those were sermons on authority, taught straight from the text, from a biblical standpoint, though it may not have had the, quote, brotherhood language. So I submit to you that grace is very similar to that, and here's how I would like to go about proving it. You know that the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Would you say that those are grace-filled letters? I think everyone would. So let me ask this follow-up question. How many times is the word grace mentioned in Matthew's Gospel? The answer is zero. There is no grace in Matthew's Gospel. Mark's gospel, likewise, has no grace. Luke has one mention of grace in chapter 2 and verse 40, and John has a few early on in chapter 1, and that's it. Somebody needs to send a letter to those four guys and tell them we need more grace. But those passages I mentioned in Luke and John tell us something very interesting. In Luke 2, the first mention of grace in the New Testament It is God placing it upon his son, Jesus, as a child. In the Gospel of John in chapter 1, the only time grace is mentioned, here is what is said. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Gospels are full of God's grace. In fact, after 400 years of silence, God decided to reach down upon this earth and pour grace into everyone's lives. And it came through the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. You know truth when you know Jesus, and you have experienced grace when you have connected to Christ. Everything that he did and taught, his character, his love, his sacrifice, and his glorification now as high priest and king is God's unmerited favor, born of a virgin, sent to this world to be a blessing to everyone. I'm not suggesting that all of God's grace in every form is only in the person that is Jesus, but I am suggesting that it is founded 
in the message and work of Jesus, that it is made available to you through a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't know where to turn to find God's grace, you can always turn to him. You might find this interesting. Let me give you a definition of grace based on Thayer's lexicon. Thayer authored a book in the 19th century that attempted to define Greek words as they were used in the first century. And when it came to grace, he said, it is goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. And then he elaborates in this way. Listen carefully and see what you think. Of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. Now, that's actually a very controversial definition of grace because it shows that God's grace is doing things to you, exerting influence, turning you to Christ, keeping you, strengthening you, and kindling you. And to be clear, if there is talking about effective grace— that takes over your will, that does these things to you and for you, and you have no choice in the matter, that would be akin to a doctrine called Calvinism, and it would be incorrect. But I'm not convinced that's what he's saying. He's saying the mercies of the Lord have power. They have power to awaken your soul. They have power to help you repent, to keep you strong, and to kindle a fire in you by the abilities of God greater than your own that can burn brightly and never go out. Now, that sounds amazing. The question is, how does that work? How do I define the parameters of God's influential grace? I know it's not over my will, but how is it affecting my will? And I think we all understand how subjective that can get. I can say, well, God's grace is kindling in me this belief in this direction. And someone else says, well, God's grace is turning me in an opposite direction. Before we know it, it can be our emotions pouring out instead of God's grace pouring in. But can I suggest to you that grace is founded in Jesus, in his character and teachings and will? Let me read the definition of grace again, introducing Christ. Grace represents the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls in the story of Jesus, turns us to honor Jesus. Christ works and rules to keep us. 1 John 5 says that Jesus keeps us. He strengthens us. He increases our faith, and he kindles in us the exercise of Christian values. Again, I cannot describe the fullness of God's grace and how it works. That is well beyond me. But I can certainly find it, identify it, learn more about it, and draw closer to it in the study of my Lord Jesus. Let me take you to Acts 2 to elaborate on this further. It's the day of Pentecost. The gospel is taught. 3,000 people, to use Thayer's definition, have God exerting his influence upon them. They are turned to Christ. They are strengthened and kindled. Can I ask you something? How often did Peter mention grace in the Pentecost sermon? The answer is zero times. Was there no grace on Pentecost? You know that there was. It was exactly as God said it would be. It was in Jesus. 
Peter's sermon was that a momentous day had been prophesied from years before. That day came near when Jesus Christ came to this earth to work miracles. He became the fulfillment of prophecy. He was raised by the Father from the dead. And by His power, the apostles were able to speak in other languages and preach this incredible message because Jesus is Lord and Christ. As a response to acknowledgement that Jesus is their Lord and the one sent to save them, they turned to him. They asked what to do. Peter said, just like Jesus said, he brought the message of grace. Believe in him. Let him give you eternal life. Turn from your sins. Be baptized, uniting with Jesus. There's the power. It's in him. And you will receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. More grace, just like Jesus said. They did so. The church began. It caught fire. And they spread the message of Jesus, the message of grace, with everyone that they met. Preaching the grace of God must begin and flourish through the preaching of Jesus. It's kind of funny. Someone told me recently, Chris, you preach too much on grace, and also you preach too much on Jesus. And I thought that was the most interestingly bizarre thing to say. But at least he got the relationship right. Both of those stand and flourish together when they live in the heart of every believer. One more example on this grace business. The book of Acts tells the story of Saul's conversion three times. Chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. Unfortunately, there was no grace involved. I mean, not by actual mention. But there was Jesus. He appeared to Saul. He exerted his kindness and will by revealing himself to him. Paul changed his life and obeyed the gospel because he believed in the power of the Lord to rule his life. He was baptized and his sins washed away and he started getting to work. His fire had been kindled. Later in 1 Timothy, when Paul was reflecting on that, guess what he called it? He said, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So if you want to see the grace of God in action and the power of God to change you, spend time in the Gospels. Experience the glory of the Son of God. I would say, without picking on anyone, that there may have been men of old who preached some on the Gospels and some about Jesus, emphasizing our need to believe in Him and then very quickly moving forward to the real substance of the lessons, go out and do good things. I have long since lamented the years when I flashed past belief as if it was this easy first step and got to the real substance of behavior. That is the same mistake of flashing past God's immense grace to get down to the need for your obedience. We must become enamored by Jesus, so immersed in who he is and the incredible power that emanates from him so that the drawing of the power of that relationship fills us with courage and confidence and gratitude. And then as a result of the fullness of God's grace given to me in Jesus, I can go out and do great things, not of my own ability and certainly not on my own, by faith in Jesus, by his teachings, and by following his example. 
And in that vein, let me say something about the word grace and its usage. You may attend somewhere where the word grace is used all the time. It may even be written on the sign out front. If it is given some great power in your life, but it is not connected to the ministry, teachings, life, and authority of Christ, then it is not the grace of the Gospels or Pentecost or Paul's conversion. And I'm really thankful for this discovery because it means I don't have to limit what God can do by his mercy. And I'll be the first to admit that it is deeper and wider and greater than anything I can express in words. But I can always represent it fairly and well by opening the scriptures and sourcing all of my beliefs on what is taught by the Messiah and about him. And in that regard, let me finish with a few very practical ideas if you are in search of the immense grace of our God. I am not limiting God's grace, but I am defining it in a way that is well within your reach. One, God's grace is found in the power of Jesus. It is not of you or in you or by your own strength. It is in all that he has done and is doing and will do. You might wonder, how does that work? Well, God's grace is in a relationship with Jesus. The closer you draw to him, the more of God's mercies abide in your heart. This is why baptism is so important. I'm thinking of some passages in Colossians chapter 2. All the power of deity is found in him. And when we are baptized, it is in him. It is with him. Romans 6, I unite with his power. And when I am raised up out of that water, Colossians 3, and I seek to walk in a relationship with him, I want to be like him. I want to live for him and deny the things that might separate me from him. I find myself walking along next to the one who made the entire universe, and he is here to help me. That is grace. So where is God's grace? It is in the power of Jesus, not yourself. It is found in a relationship with Jesus who walks with you. And it is manifested in this life as you live in the likeness, conformed to the image of him. So let's end with just a little evangelism. How do you share God's grace with the world? How do you introduce them to a power greater than themselves? To a relationship where they can be held and strengthened? To the story of Jesus, you live in his likeness. Speak of him and tell his story. Speak like him and seek to influence others like he did. Show the world who you are becoming out of gratitude for him. You can say the word grace and you should, but more than that, demonstrate the word grace in Jesus' name. If everything about our teaching and your life is built upon him, we can raise a generation who will never have to ask the question, where's the grace? Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. As always, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for the email, order the three-month journal, or just catch up on old episodes. And also, if you are looking for financial advice or future planning, give John Cunningham a call today, 205-913-1720.
And remember this, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.